please open it to Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to be looking at verses 25 through 32. When you look at marriage through the lens of redemption, you see that marriage is ministry, ministry to one another in Christ. When you look at marriage through the lens of redemption, you see that marriage is ministry, ministry to one another in Christ. Larry Crabb says, the central truth that serves as a platform for Christian marriage and for all Christian relationships is that in Christ, we are at every moment eternally loved and genuinely significant. In Christ, we are at every moment eternally loved and genuinely significant. Spouses at the well, as we talked about last week, they live in that truth of who they are in Christ. They live there. And the more your faith in Christ strengthens as a spouse, the freer you become to minister to your spouse in love and humility. You see, spouses come to the well seeking and praying for Jesus to be the center of their hearts and the center of their marriage. And when he's at the center, he enables you to grow in setting up Christ-centered boundaries in your marriage. He gives you a new vision for your marriage. Imagine that your house, your marriage is a cluttered house. That your marriage is a hoarder that hoards junk. And Jesus enters into that house. And he rearranges things. He's going to throw out things. And he does this by bringing into your house a new piece of furniture that he gives to both spouses. And that is a reconciliation table that he places in the center of your marriage. And he gives it to both spouses And they are to go from room to room uncoloring their house, their marriage at that table. Spouses who minister to each other sit at a table of reconciliation in their marriage. You can't minister to your spouse if you're not going to sit at that table. You do. And in Ephesians 4, Verses 35-36. Paul is he's talking primarily to Christian relationships within the church. How the Christians are to relate to one another. And what he says here can be applied to all Christian relationships. Even the relationship between a husband and wife. Here's God's word. Therefore, having put aside falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. For we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, 
so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, and clamor, and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. This is God's holy, inerrant word, and it is truth, and it's applicable to all of our lives. Let us pray. Father, as we come to the preaching of your word, I pray that your spirit, Lord, will speak through me and to me. I need this. My heart needs this. And so, Father, as we begin this service by asking the Spirit to prepare our hearts, we need him to prepare our hearts to receive your word. That he alone, Lord, will come and, and take the preached word and apply it to our hearts. Because if he does not move, nothing happens without the supernatural work of the Spirit of God working through the preaching of your word. So, Holy Spirit, we beg and we plead and ask you to come today and minister to all of our hearts. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. The table of reconciliation is given to all Christian marriages by Christ in order to help spouses deal with their marital issues and conflicts in a Christ-centered way. And the first thing you do at this table is you got to have honest communication. Honest communication, honest communication at the table of reconciliation. Therefore, having put away all falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of the other. Paul is speaking to the church about how the church functions relationally with one another. And what he says here is, I can be applied to Christian marriage. Therefore, put away all falsehood. That therefore lets you know that these verses that we're focused on today are implications of the verses that came before these verses. Verses 17 through 24. In those verses, Paul testifies to believers about their new life in Christ. He tells them to put off the old man, the old self, which belongs to their former manner of life. He wants them to be renewed in the spirit of their minds and to put on the new self. You see, believers, those who have saving faith in Christ, are in union with Christ. Union with him. And what does that mean? It means in Christ you are now adopted into God's family because of Christ. In Christ you have redemption and forgiveness of sin. In Christ you now have peace with God. Without the in Christ, none of those things we sung about are true to you. They're true because of who you are in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5, 21 says, For he who knew no sin became sin, so that you might become the righteousness of God. In Christ, your status has changed from orphan to child, from slave to free, from sinner to saint. In Christ. In Christ, all believers are truly a new creation because of his finished work. That's why the, this quote by Larry Crabb is true, that in Christ, you are every moment internally loved and genuinely significant. 
because of what Christ did. Spouses are to come to the reconciliation table believing in that truth, believing in who they are in Christ. And when that happens, you will have honest communication with one another. Honest communication that is devoid of falsehood. See, honest communication does not lie. It is not deceitful. It is not false. It is not dishonest. It keeps no secrets. And it does not tell half-truths. Because a half-truth is still a lie. Cloud and Townsend, uh, authors of Boundaries and Marriage, says, Deception destroys a relationship. The act of lying is much more damaging than the thing being lied about. Because lying undermines the knowing of another and the connection itself. Think about that. Lying undermines the knowing of another and the connection itself. Lies and falsehood destroys the trust between a husband and wife. It does. Destroys the trust. And spouses must put it away and have, and have honest communication that speaks the truth. Speaks the truth. That each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Honest communication in Christian relationships speaks the truth in love. We speak the truth in love. In marriage, spouses must make a commitment to honesty, to truth, trustworthiness. You have to have that. Now, having put away falsehood doesn't mean you won't ever tell a lie. Doesn't mean you, it means you don't have to live in it. You don't have to make lying a lifestyle. You don't. That's what, he, that's what Paul is saying here. You don't have to live in lies as a believer. You can struggle with it, but you don't have to live in it. At the reconciliation table, you must have honest communication that speak the truth in love. The Paul is telling church that they speak the truth and love with their neighbor because they are members of one another. He appeals to the unity in Christ that they have. And back in chapter 4, verse 3, Paul challenged the believers to do everything they could to maintain the unity of the Spirit and bond of peace. Honest communication, they speak the truth in love, helps maintain this unity within the church. And the same is true in marriage. You can't maintain unity in your marriage if you're going to lie. You can't maintain union to your marriage. You're not going to have honest communication between you and your spouse. You got to have it. Speak the truth and love to your spouse because of what Jesus has done for you. In Christ, because of what he done, you can have honest communication. If you truly believe that you are eternally loved and genuinely significant in him, you can speak the truth to your spouse at the reconciliation table. Speaking the truth in love about conflicts, hurt feelings, disappointments, sin, money, sex, failures, angers, letdowns, frustration, dreams, desires. At the reconciliation table, you speak the truth about all those things. You don't hold anything back. It means when your spouse asks you what is wrong, you don't say nothing while you know it's not true. It means you go to the table, you listen to one another, and you put it all on the table. You see, it's easy to go through marriage in ignorance and denial and pretending and faking. It's easy to have an inch deep type of communication in your marriage where a spouse will do a good job of talking about surfacey stuff, but when it comes to the things underneath, 
those things are off limits. I'm talking about going to the place that you have said is off limits and being honest there. I can be honest about college football. I can be honest about services stuff. I can be honest about updating the house and going grocery shopping. But what about the things underneath? What about the things that people don't see? Will you be honest there? Will you? How much clutter is in your marriage because you won't be honest with your spouse and speak the truth in love? How much? How much? Townsend and Cloud says again, couples often live out years of falsehood trying to protect and save a relationship, all the while destroying any chance of real relationship. If you don't commit to honesty, you are destroying any real chance of having a deep relationship with your spouse. Again, if you believe Jesus is your security and significance, and you believe that, then you'll be honest with your spouse about hard stuff. Hard stuff. It's time to be honest. And for some of you, this could be the first time you've done it. You could be honest with your spouse without living and giving into fear of your spouse's rejection. If you believe Jesus is your sinner. You can be honest with your spouse and not give in to the fact, well, maybe they won't admit to what they've done. But you can still be honest. Truth sometimes hurt, but faithful are the wounds of a friend. Is your spouse your friend? Then you speak the truth to them in love. And you won't do it if Jesus is not the source of your security and significance. You'll continue to live a lie. You will. I encourage you, stop living a lie. Believe who you are in Christ and go to the reconciliation table and speak the truth to your spouse in love. There is a measuring stick that many couples use to determine whether or not they have a good marriage. It's called the argument measuring stick. The less we argue, then the better the marriage is, they say. If we don't argue at all, then we almost have a perfect marriage. Many couples say our marriage is good because we don't argue. Oh, we don't argue. We don't fuss about anything. And my interpretation of that statement is that honest communication really ain't taking place. I'm telling you, if you're going to be honest, real honest in marriage, you're going to have arguments. There's nothing wrong with that. That's just reality. Because you're both sinners. I'm telling you, arguments happen in marriage, even in healthy marriages. The challenge in marriage is to make sure you argue rightly and not wrongly. Most of us argue wrongly in marriage. That's what makes it unhealthy. When you come to the reconciliation table, you come to argue rightly about marital conflicts and issues. Verse 26. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity for the devil. In verse 29. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth but only such as is good as building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. In verse 26, Paul gives two imperatives here, a command and a prohibition. The command is to be angry, and the prohibition is do not sin. I'm like, how is that possible? What does Paul mean here? See, Paul knows that life inside the church can be messy. 
He knows that. He knows there are going to be conflicts and issues within the church. He knows people's feelings are going to get hurt. People are going to sin against one another. People are going to get frustrated. And people are going to get angry at times. And so he says, be angry, do not sin. Just like relationships in the church, marriage too is messy. Things are going to happen. You're going to have conflicts. You're going to have arguments. You're going to have arguments about money. You're going to have arguments about sex. You're going to have arguments about work. You're going to have arguments about chores. And you're going to have arguments about the kids. All five you will argue about. You will. I'm just telling you, you will. You will get upset. You will get frustrated. You will get angry. And Paul says, be angry and do not sin. This phrase, that be angry and do not sin, is, is a quote from Psalm 4, 5, and 6. And it says, be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts on your beds and be silent. Offer right sacrifices and put your trust in God. To argue rightly means you do not act out of your anger. Which is a natural, self-protective response when you are hurt and sinned against. To be angry and do not sin means you do not act out of anger. You will be tempted when your spouse hurts you to lash out, to get revenge, to hurt him or her back. And this is where the shame and blame game come in, usually around these, these issues here. Try to get even. But Jesus offers you a different way to deal with your conflicts, to reconciliation table. Because when you come to the table of reconciliation to argue rightly, you do what James says. Let everyone be quick to hear, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. You might, you might as well just write that on your table. Your reconciliation table. You need to engrave it in there. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of God, for the anger of man, does not produce the righteousness of God. This here is, is you to take a, asking you to take a step back from the situation. Ponder in your own hearts. Be silent. Don't do or say something that you can't take back. Don't act out of your anger, but you have to deal with it in a healthy way. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Give no opportunity to the devil. It's not healthy to suppress your anger and frustration either. Eventually, it will come out, sometimes sinfully. You see, you don't want to be the, the little teapot spouse. You know, I'm a little teapot spouse. Short and stout. Here is my handle. Here is my spout. When I get all steamed up, hear me shout. That's what happens to spouses who suppress their anger. Eventually you're going to shout. And everyone's going to hear it. And it's going to get dealt with in an unhealthy way. Go to the reconciliation table and honestly communicate with your spouse about your anger. You can communicate that in love. You can speak that truth in love. When you come to this table, will you come? Will you argue rightly? To argue rightly also means you've got to use words and languages that do not offend and demean. You've got to use words and languages that don't tear your spouse down. 
That's what he says here in verse 29. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth. Only that is built is good for building up. The Greek term that's been translated corrupt talk also means rotten talk, worthless talk, harmful talk. When you come to an argument with the intent to win and be right, you fight dirty. You fight dirty. When you come with intent to be right and to win, you fight dirty. And you're going you're gonna to hurt, your, you're going to harm your spouse by your words. Because you're in it to win it. You were in it to win it. And, and when you come with the intent to win, you, you push each other's buttons. Because husband and wife, you know how to get under each other's skin. You know how to do it. And when you come to win an argument, you know what buttons to push, man. A wife, you know what buttons to push on your husband. You know it gets under his skin. Wife and husband, you know the same thing about your wife, and you do it. Y'all are experts at it. Because, hey, you, all, you're here to win. You will say harmful words about your spouse. And when you do that, when you use harmful words, please understand, each word you use hurts your spouse's dignity, value, and self-worth. Please know that's what you're doing. Please know that. That's what you're doing. And you should, not get, you should not pat yourself on the back on it. You may win the fight, but you lose the battle for your marriage in the end. You won the argument, but you further damage your marriage in, in, in doing so. It's time for a change, and it happens at the table. When you come to the reconciliation table, don't come with the intent to win to be right. Come for the purpose of reconciliation. To minister to your spouse. Not to tear your spouse down. If you are the hurt and wounded spouse, come for the purpose of reconciliation. Not to get revenge. Not to get even. And if you're the person who did the sinning, let your spouse communicate what you did to her or him in truth, in love. Listen. You got to, again, everything is about reconciling. Reconciling your differences, reconciling the conflicts. You can have heated arguments in marriage without tearing one another down. You can. The Greek term that has been translated fix the occasion, that literally means needed task or necessary work. The point that Paul is saying here, the proper use of your tongue is a necessary work in dealing with conflict. A necessary work. The proper use of the tongue builds up. It edifies. It does not destroy and demean. In your marriage, what does your tongue do? Tears down or does it build up? You know. In your heart of hearts, you know. Is your tongue for good or is your tongue for evil? Which is it? How do you argue about conflicts in your marriage? Please know that you guys are not each other's enemy. Husband, your wife is not your enemy. Wife, your husband is not your enemy. Because guess what? If you said, it, if you said your husband or spouse is your enemy, what, what does that mean about the God who gave, it, gave the spouse to you? What does it mean about God? Because God gave you your spouse. Now, if you said your spouse is your enemy, so basically you, it's something about God you don't understand. Something about God you even don't like. Because God brings us to our spouses, not for our 
demise, but for your good. You are one flesh with each other. Okay, how hard difficult it is. And you have to fight to maintain your unity in the bond of peace. You have to. Whenever I'm doing any type of marriage counseling, one of the things I tell couples that to do is they got to set guidelines and rules for how they're going to argue. You got to set them. Creating a rule that says we're not going to argue, that's not a rule. Okay, that's not real life. You know, spouses have to come to agreement on what is allowed and what is not allowed during arguments over conflicts. Because if you don't set guidelines, that means everything's free game. I can name call, I can be little, I can shame, I can blame. What are the guidelines in your marriage? What are they? Is bad language acceptable? Is demeaning acceptable? Is arguing in front of kids acceptable? How do you practice these things in your marriage currently, spouses? Remember, this table is where you come to have honest communication. And I encourage you, husband, wives, or those who are engaged, have a conversation about how are we going to argue? How are we going to deal with our marital conflicts? I encourage you to argue rightly, not wrongly. You want to be reconciled to one another in all things. Last thing is, at the table of reconciliation, you keep short accounts. Look at verse 28. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. We know from the context Paul is, is talking to believers here within the church. So it may seem odd for him to say what he says in verse 28, you know, let the thief no longer steals. You know, what, is it, what is going on here? I, you know, how does this verse fit into the larger context? And in verse 22, Paul tells them to put off the old self, which belongs to their former manner of life. And this old self is corrupt through the deceitful desires. One commentator says, Paul realizes that at the back of this sin of stealing lies a more basic fault that is selfishness. You see, this stealing here is part of the old self, the old life that this Christian or Christian should have left behind. You see, a thief only cares for himself or herself. A thief does not labor with his own hands uh, uh, for what he gets. He uses, abuses, he cheats, he cons, he takes advantage of. A thief cannot be trusted. There's no honor among thieves. A thief will not be faithful to the truth. And like falsehood, stealing is part of the old way of life that should be put away. He is commanding these believers who once lived as thieves to no longer live that way as a lifestyle. No longer make this part of a lifestyle, but because of who you are in Christ, you can live differently. This here is basically Paul saying to these Christians, repent. Repent. Repentance. Larry Crabb says in his book, Understanding People, if a failure to enjoy God as the satisfier of deep longings lies beneath every form of personal distress, and if sin is at the root of every obstacle of enjoying God, then repentance, a turning from sin, should be the central understanding of how change comes about. This is what Paul wants here. 
for these believers who are still struggling with stealing. He wants them to own their sin, take responsibility for it, repent of it, and move forward to living out who they are in Christ. And that is, this person should do honest work, labor with his own hands, so that he may something, have something to share with those in need. Now, I know you may be saying, what in the world does this have to do with marriage? I believe the commandment to repentance is applicable to all marriages. Taking responsibility for your sin and moving forward to living out your new life in Christ within your marriage. For a moment, I want you to think about your marriage as, as a treasury with currency inside of it. It's a, it has currency that can increase or decrease. Every marriage has emotional currency, love currency, support currency, intimacy, intimacy currency, trust currency, physical currency. And spouses will either invest in those currencies to increase them or be a thief that steals from them. You will either invest in those currencies or you'll be a thief that steals from them. A spouse who commits adultery is a thief. He just stole from his, something from his marriage. A spouse who bu- abuses his spouse or her husband or, her, or his wife emotionally or physically is a thief. You have stole something from your marriage. A spouse who refuses to provide for his family is a thief. He has stole something from his marriage. Basically, every time you sin against one another, you steal some currency out of your marriage. And how, you gotta build, how do you give the currency back? You go to the reconciliation table and you repent for what you have done. You go to your spouse and say, when I said that, it made you feel this way. Forgive me for I sinned against you. Will you forgive me, honey? I know I hurt you when I did that. Or you go to your husband and say, I know when I did this, it belittled you. Will you please forgive me for, for I sin against you? How many marriages, how many spouses actually communicate on that level? If you do, it builds the currency back up. You got to have, you have to own your sin in marriage. That one of the points of coming to the reconciliation table is you go there ready to fess up to whatever you've done to hurt your marriage. And you go there and ask for repentance. Lay it all on the line. I've, I messed up. Forgive me. The other part of keeping short accounts is not just repentance, but it must also be forgiveness as well. Verse 30 and 32. Let all bitterness, sorry, 31. Let all bitterness, wrath, and anger, and clamor, and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted. Forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. These lists of sins here, he commands us to pull them away because they're part of the old self. Every spouse will struggle with these sins in verse 31, in one form or another. In your heart, you will struggle with these. But you should not live in them. But you should repentantly struggle with them. See, Ecclesiastes 7.20 says, Surely there is not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. Think about that. Surely there is not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. Good spouses still sin. 
Good spouses still fall short. Good spouses still let you down. Period. There are no exception to that rule. Ladies may have the best husband in the world, but guess what? He will let you down sometimes. Husband may have the best wife in the world, but she's going to let you down sometimes. But she's a sinner, imperfect, just like you. And it's important to remember that both spouses are imperfect. They have issues. This means spouses must come to the table or relate the table of reconciliation mutually broken. You are mutually broken spouses at this table. Both of you are broken. Both of you have issues. Both of you need Jesus. And so this means mutually broken spouses come to the table with awareness of their own sin on one hand and also with a firm grasp on the grace of God to them on the other hand. You come with both of those in mind. Because remember, in Christ, you are at every moment eternally loved and genuinely significant. That's who you are in Christ. Mutually broken spouses are kind to one another and they're tender-hearted because they have an understanding that I need Jesus too. I have sinned too. Townsend and Cloud says again, nothing in a relationship has to permanently destroy that relationship if forgiveness is in the picture. No failure is larger than grace. No hurt exists that love cannot heal. But for all those miracles to take place, there must be compassion and tender-heartedness. Compassion and tender-heartedness. A spouse who has these things, you will confront your spouse with humility. Because you too know, I too have sinned against God. Because God has forgiven me, then I can forgive my spouse. Forgiveness isn't easy. It's not easy, so I don't use that term lightly. But we should strive to be on a journey to forgiveness and to keep short accounts with one another. Paul, Peter says in 1 Peter 4, 8, love covers a multitude of sins. This is all this is about. This is you loving your spouse in action, not just with your words, but in action. Honest communication, arg- rightly arguing, and keeping short accounts. This week, one of my Facebook friends posted a link on her page to a blog that showed photos of that, of, that her husband took of his wife as she bowed up breast cancer. And there were no needs for words because the picture spoke volumes. And, and what I saw touched my heart. You know, the blogger says the photos humanized the face of cancer and it captured the difficulty and the pain and fear that this couple experienced during that difficult time. I saw snapshots of love in the midst of pain and suffering. The woman was loved all the way to the grave by her husband and family. And those pictures communicated that. It wasn't just love expressing words, but expressing compassion and sacrificial deeds. They, they loved her. When she was healthy, they loved her while she was sick. The husband says, these photographs do not define us. But they are us. It was their fight, their battle that they went through. But you know what? They did not abandon each other in the midst of it. Your issues in marriage, they might not define you, but they are you. They're you. You And you have to, and when you fight and when you argue, don't abandon one another. 
Don't give up on one another. Instead, go to the reconciliation table. How much are you willing to fight for your spouse? Husbands, how much are you willing to lay down for your wife? Wives, how much are you willing to lay down for your husband? How much? You have to love each other enough to fight, not just with words, but fight in, in deeds. Communicate love in deeds. And I challenge you, no matter how hard it gets, when Jesus is in the center of it, he can make it new. You just got to have faith to trust him, to do it his way. And his way is there must be a table of reconciliation in your marriage where you have honest communication, where you argue rightly, and where you keep short accounts with one another. Let us pray. Father God, thank you for Christ because of what he did. None of these, we can do none of these things if we don't believe in Jesus. We cannot live in these things if we don't believe what Jesus has done for us is real. If we don't live there and embrace that and accept that into our hearts. We have to believe that in Christ we are eternally loved and genuinely significant. We have to believe that truth. And if we don't, help our unbelief, Father. Help our unbelief today. And draw us closer to your heart and help us to live there more. And through your spirit, empower us to be the spouses and the people we need to be in your creation. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Let us stand as we close our service.